Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists, and food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good Sunday to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, and a very happy new year to you as well. If it's your New Year's resolution to become a better cook, well then, make 2015 the year you become fearless in the kitchen. I hope you'll continue to tune in every Sunday throughout this year to learn the whys as well as the hows of cooking, to build your skills, master new techniques, and to cook with confidence. Because I'm all about fabulous food, fine restaurants, engaging chefs, travel, and living the best life. And right here every Sunday, You can elevate your tastes because we're rich on flavor. This show brings you fresh ingredients, recipes, and kitchen wisdom from celebrity chefs, renowned winemakers, and Epicurean insiders for what I like to say is the most spectacular radio conversation around. And I've got quick recipes, prep advice, and great ideas that are guaranteed to make you hungry posted at chefjamie.com. And you'll find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. So I thought I'd kick off this show in a healthful manner since January is definitely the opportunity to come back to center with a little bit of balance, maybe eating leaner or cleaner. And I posted a recipe for quinoa last week that got lots of attention. So I thought I would go in depth for you. Now, quinoa, once relatively obscure in North America, is uh, no doubt taking over the world. I happen to love this ancient grain, and I love that it's appearing with increasing frequency on restaurant menus and on your grocery store shelves and in recipes everywhere. Now, originally discovered in the Andes Mountains of South America, quinoa thrives, by the way, at high altitudes, quinoa has been cultivated for thousands of years by the Incas. But interestingly enough, They considered it sacred. They called it the mother of all grains. Interestingly enough, though, it's not a grain at all. It's actually a seed related to spinach and beets, and it's a nutrition powerhouse. It is a complete protein with all the essential amino acids. Quinoa is also very high in fiber and potassium and iron, and it's gluten-free, did you know? And it's generally easy to digest. So many of the reasons I love quinoa, it is so nutritious, in fact, that NASA is even considering it as a possible food source for their space flights, which I think is fabulous. Now, I love quinoa for the fluffy texture and for that nutty, wonderful flavor. And I believe that you can use it in all of your dishes, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So if you're considering quinoa for breakfast, let's say, and by the way, it's Sunday, so I'll usually make a batch of quinoa today and then leave it in the fridge all week. And come breakfast time, I'll mix in a few tablespoons of Greek yogurt, a handful of fresh berries, and maybe some toasted pecans, and you have a really delicious quinoa breakfast cereal. Now you can mix it in or add it in to cookies, maybe an almond cranberry quinoa cookie. You can heat it up and make a hot quinoa cereal as well. And I like to throw it into my pancake batter for a good protein punch. It definitely packs a punch where it just makes you 
feel good. It fills you up. It's that healthful way to start the day. It makes a great granola, by the way, mixed in with dried fruit and nuts as well. And then moving on to salads, etc. I like to mix in a handful of quinoa into a big, beautiful bowl of greens, maybe with some roasted sweet potato and a, a simple light vinaigrette. Or you can mix in your favorite roasted vegetables or even chopped fresh vegetables and serve it as a side dish to your favorite protein. It makes a brilliant tabbouleh as a substitute for couscous if you're looking for a gluten-free alternative. And then seeing that it's National Soup Month, if you didn't know, it's a wonderful addition to a big, hearty bowl of goodness in place of rice or pasta. So you can learn more about quinoa and find delicious recipes posted on the website at chefjamie.com. And then you'll also find my Think Like a Chef feature. It is my continuing passion and drive to make you a better cook in your own kitchen. So every week I post a method, a preparation, a skill that will hopefully inspire you to master something new. And this week's Think Like a Chef is all about mastering meringue. Now, I had this craving, this intense craving, in fact, for chocolate chip meringue kisses this past week. And I think that I rationalized to myself, even though I'm looking to eat leaner and cleaner in January, that these cookies had no fat and only sugar, so I could make them and then just have one. Well, I will say there's something beautiful about meringue. It can be the basis of truly wonderful desserts and cookies, but it daunts many great cooks. And I don't want you to shy away from what is a very classic technique. It takes minimal effort, by the way, but it gives you very dramatic results. And making a meringue is really simple. All you need is some egg whites, uh, sugar, and a little bit of cream of tartar, which, by the way, I have a substitute for as well, so don't fret. Now, there are a few easy steps to follow, and practice plus patience makes perfect, so I'll highlight some of the best tips, but please do check out the website to master meringue. Now, eggs are the most important component, of course, and the best tip I can give you there is that cold eggs are easier to separate. But room temperature whites aerate better. So what I recommend that you do is separate the eggs while they're cold and then let the whites stand at room temperature for about 30 minutes before you begin beating. Now, of course, you want to make sure your bowl and your whisk are clean and dry. And I like a glass or a metal bowl. Of course, if you have a copper bowl, that's wonderful. And then you must consider that there's only two other ingredients, sugar and a helper, as I call it. Sugar sweetens the egg whites, but it creates a thicker structure as well in order to create the meringue. And I like super fine sugar because it dissolves better. If you don't have super fine sugar, you just take uh, granulated sugar, put it in your food processor and run it for 20 to 30 seconds. And voila, you have super fine sugar. No need to buy the expensive box. And then you'll measure it, by the way, after it's ground up into even finer granules. And then cream of tartar for stability. Now, If you don't have cream of tartar, you can substitute a quarter of a teaspoon of lemon juice or white vinegar for every teaspoon of cream of tartar. And while it's not necessary, it does keep the meringue from deflating. So if meringue is on your to-do list to master this week, you'll find my chocolate chip meringue kisses recipe posted on the site. 
Oh, see, they make me salivate just by saying their name. And a few other things that you won't want to miss posted as well at chefjamie.com. I made a winter vegetable curry this past week. Um, by the way, it would be delicious served over quinoa, or you could serve it alongside roasted chicken or fish. And I make a simple chutney yogurt sauce that you serve alongside for a, a very cool, complex flavor pairing. I think it's the warming flavors of the curry that break through that winter chill. I also had a tinkering for butterscotch pudding, so I've posted the ultimate recipe and a cocktail for the winter season, a floral and lovely rosemary pear martini. So check it out. It's posted at chefjamie.com. And don't touch your dial because there is so much more delicious conversation coming up. He is Jeffrey Zakarian, the Food Network Iron Chef, with so much humility, but calm and cool and collected. He's one of the gentlemen I definitely admire, and he's a fabulous cook while he's stopping by to dish on his perfect pantry because he believes you can cook straight from the pantry just about any night of the week. Plus, Lori Armstrong will be here. She's highlighting what was recently named the best food city in the U.S., Congratulations, San Francisco. She'll tell you where to eat, what to go, and what's delicious. Plus, he is Chef Jojo Doyle, and he is elevating your favorite sports grub. Gourmet cuisine coming to an arena or a stadium near you. Don't touch your dial. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, and I'll be back with more fabulous food right after this. delicious it's divine it's food and wine chef jamie gwen in your radio as we embark on a new year of fabulous food a very happy 2015 to you he's the food network iron chef you can't help but admire cool and calm and collected and full of pure talent he is jeffrey zakarian chef and partner at the lambs club and the national bar and dining rooms in new york city the water club at borgata in atlantic city and the culinary director at the plaza hotel just to name a few jeffrey zakarian knows that the pantry is the backbone of any kitchen and he says it's the place from which every great meal starts. He is here for the first time gracing this show because we do have the best culinary thinkers on this program, sharing his gastronomic inspiration from his recently released cookbook entitled My Perfect Pantry. So take a peek inside Jeffrey's aspirational larder just to see how it's organized. Jeffrey Zakarian is here and he's sharing his best culinary advice. I'm glad to have you, Jeffrey. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm a great fan. Uh, I very much admire your work. I love the way you you cook and I too cook from my pantry. I mean, I think there's so many wonderful things that you can make um, without often needing to shop, and that's the beauty of of creating fabulous food and delectable dishes. One of the first points I noticed in the book is that you say don't overstuff, and I'm responsible for that. So, can you help us create the perfect pantry, please? Cooking at home is a lot for people who are sort of intimidated already. So the, the gist of the book came from all the questions I get, uh, both online and from my fan base, mm-hmm. who ask me, you know, what's the best olive oil to use, what's the best salt and pepper, what kind of, there 
so many spices, which one should I have? And I, I said, you know what, this is, these, are, these are terrific questions, and I seem to be answering these questions every day, the same one, you know, and someone asked me a, a different, you know, le- level of the shelf, that uh, every day was a different shelf level. <laughs> so I decided to put it all together in a book, uh, and I, I, I came up with 50, because I thought 50 was a good number. I mean, you can have 500. I mean, anyone that goes to a good store nowadays, uh, especially a store where there's a dry food section or a pantry section, I mean, it's just so much stuff. It's overwhelming. Sure. And stores are designed to do that. They overwhelm you with, with choice. And that's a good thing because we have a lot of choice, but it's also a, it's a slippery slope because you just don't know which to select out and edit. Editing is really important. So what I've done with this book is edit down to the 50 items that you need to have in your pantry at all times. Now, I'm sure if a lot of people listening uh, or at their home have a lot more than 50, but I would I would probably guess, because I see a lot of people's homes, that they have multiples of the same thing that are unopened and, or opened, you know? So they may have four or five soy sauces, and half of them are open and half of them aren't opened, and it, it, it occurs to them, this is what happens when they go shopping. They don't really know what they have in their pantry, so they buy it just in case they don't have soy sauce, I'm going to get another one. Yeah, I've done know? that. <laughs> and they arrive home, and they have like eight garlic salts, you know? Right. So, it, 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 everybody, I, I always say that the pantry is where old spices go to die, and it's really the truth. I mean, no one, sh- you know, no one invites you into their house and says, "Come look at my pantry; it's so fantastic." <laughs> it's not the place where people want to like. Everything is in there is like kind of messy. So, the book was an attempt to just clarify what you really need, and then as staples, you can go out and shop every day or every other day for your vegetables, your protein, and things like that. But knowing you have your pantry or you know, all set up, and then you know what you have there, and you can reference it easily. Any more than 50 ingredients, it gets really difficult. I, I agree you know, with it's, you. It's complicated. So I've made 150 recipes just from the ingredients in the pantry. So, yes, you need to go out and get lettuce and meat and stuff like that, but it all, it all comes from the pantry because the pantry is really the engine of the kitchen. All right, so let's highlight some of the essentials. I'll start at the beginning because you know it's a grand cookbook when you want to make the first recipe of 150. And that's a compliment to you, very much so. Um, so I, I too have almonds, um, as you do. Um, the number one, not in order, but uh, one of the 50, of the 50 essential pantry ingredients. And um, I went out and bought some pork chops, and we've posted your recipe, um, which I love because it's sort of a family heirloom of sorts, for the almond-crusted pork chops on my website at chefjamie.com with credit to you. Thank you. No, it's a simple recipe, too, but, it, you know, really, uh, you know, obviously, you know, there are many nuts you could have. Yes. But a workhorse that you really must have because it really does a lot are almonds. The crust itself is a combination of almonds and breadcrumbs and orange zest. And I love mm-hmm. that, that bright citrus sort of highlight to add a little bit of acid to cut through the richness of the almonds. And then those beautiful apples sautéed sort of savory style with the shallots and the rosemary. That's a quick, easy, go-to Sunday supper, weeknight meal. Absolutely. And, you know, these recipes were designed to highlight the pantry item Mm -hmm. and make sure that you understand that, you know, these, these are very doable recipes. They don't, there's not a lot of, you know, I tell people they just, you can do these on a school night, you know, it's not a lot of, <laughs> I like that approach. And I made them, I made them that way very, very, with very much in mind because I think people get really, you know, they just don't, they get overwhelmed. Sure. And I wanted to just make people calm down. I love that you um, use a lot of coconut milk as well in your recipes. It's become a staple of my pantry. Yeah, you know, and coconut milk, and we also use, uh, you know, coconut oil, uh-huh. uh, which is very healthy. Um, and you just have to remember that when you do add coconut oil, 
it is one of the oils that actually has a very strong flavor. So you have to be, you know, just cognizant of it um, when you're adding it. But it's really wonderful. And it's very good for you. So um, uh, I think it's terrific. I just, uh, I agree with you. It's one of the things I use all the time. I actually use it, Jeffrey, in a granola in place of another fat, and it adds exceptional flavor. Of course. Yeah, it's of course it does. beautiful. And there's a denseness, a meatiness, and a yes. denseness to the flavor that's just very special. Yeah, definitely so. By the way, if you've just tuned in, you are late because Chef Jeffrey Zakarian is here. You know him from Food Network fame and his restaurants, of course, around the world. But his new book, My Perfect Pantry, is helping you cook 150 easy recipes from 50 essential ingredients. You have um, a sweet tooth, Jeffrey. I really like that about you. <laughs> and um, and you I, have I a thing for chocolate. Lie. You can't lie. Yeah. Um, but I love chocolate. The the essential chocolate for a pantry. Tell us. I mean, do you keep one kind or more than well, one? Well, I you know there are there is so many chocolates. I mean, it just it's again it's one of those things you could go crazy on salt. You know, you could go just think about the salts there are. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just go into the grocery store now, people ask me, is it Morton salt? Do I want kosher? Do I want sea? Do I want pink? Do I want Himalayan? What do you what, say? What, you know, they just—it's confusing. It's, it is. I can't. I can't. I cannot say that I, I blame them. It's very confusing. Uh, so I, I just suggest a few simple chocolates, because the the thought of having a pantry, having a pantry, is a pantry that you can manage. Right. Anybody can go out and buy fifteen kinds of chocolate. You know. So yeah, there's true. chocolate bars now made with cayenne, made with cinnamon, made with uh, you know bacon. Um, I've seen, I, oh my God! There's so many chocolates <laughs> yeah, now. I mean, there's true. a company called Vosges that makes all these incredible chocolates. So yeah, they're beautiful. It just gets, but you can't cook with them. So what you really want to do is have a couple of simple chocolates, a bitter and unsweetened. I like dark uh, in, in milk, but I, I prefer dark. And just you have to understand what, what you're trying to do. You're trying to have pantry items on hand that you're actually going to use. Right. And you're going to find out through trial and error whether you use it. So the 50, you might like substitute two or three because you, you might have a little a, a penchant for using something else. That's okay. But I, I, I say this number 50 because you want to, these are things, your, your workhorses, you're going to use them a lot. You're not, you know, if you have 100 things, you're going to still use 50 a lot, and those other things are going to get bad on the shelf. So It's true. That's why I try to tell people, like, just get stuff that you you absolutely know you like and you use, and use a lot because you know your own type of cooking, right? You know that if you have a Latin, a Latin preference or if you have, a, you know, if you like South American spices and flavors, you're going to know where you're going to gravitate, and that's how you're going to build your pantry. So this is, a, this is sort of like a pantry, I would say, for a, you know, an American palate, if uh-huh. I, I could say so. Sure. But there are some things here that you could actually, you know, you could, you know, would give you a little, a little boost of flavor. Step so outside I, the I box. just want to make sure that when you're using chocolate, even though hundreds of them, just going to remember that you want to have chocolate in your pantry that you're going to use because it is going to go bad. And it does. And I think spoilage is something really important to point out. By the way, I'm making chocolate pudding tonight. Um, but the other tip, and if, if you'll leave us with this, um, that you speak about in the book, when it comes to the pantry as a whole is about streamlining your collection but storing in similar containers. And I yeah. thought if you left us with one piece of brilliant advice – that's just so smart. All the bulk, big stuff down yes. below. Yes. All the stuff that you use a lot, and right in front of your eye level. Eye level, right. In all the same, same two or three ounce glass jars, and with a little, ta- with a little, um, you know, a sticker L- on top label. of what they are. Just go right. buy them, or we'll have someone make them, or just buy them already made, so that when you look, you know you're running out of cinnamon because you can see it. You mm. cannot know you're running out of cinnamon if it's in a little box with a yellow wrap around it, and it has, you know, it's like a shaker box, and it, it's metal. You can't tell. Right. So you, what you're going to do is you're going to buy out of like, oh, you know what, I just better get it. You're going to buy out of like fear 
<laughs> and you're going to end up with six of them, right? It's what happens because we're very busy people. That's true. And we don't remember what we have in our pantry when we're going to the market. Well, we're going to be mindful of our pantries because of you. Um, and we're yes, going to no, streamline. Yes. And we're going to collect the essentials. And then we're going to spontaneously create delicious meals just by reaching into our well-stocked pantry. I think it's a, a fabulous book. And I thank you for sharing your passion, Jeffrey. It was a pleasure to have you on the radio. Thank you very much. Have yes, a of wonderful course. new year. Uh, thank, thank you. And the same to you. It is the chef's advice from Jeffrey Zakarian in his new cookbook release called My Perfect Pantry. You can find an excerpted recipe for his almond-crusted pork chops posted at chefjamie.com with a direct link so that you can bring the book into your kitchen. Thank you again, Jeffrey. My pleasure. There is more delicious conversation in your radio right after this. Be right back. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. It is 2015 as we embark on a new year, new you, and more fabulous food. I will travel, by the way, for scrumptious cuisine. And of course, if you're a fabulous foodie, then you will too. So this next conversation is your guide to what is arguably the best food city in America. Yes, you heard me right. At the end of last year, the readers of Savour Magazine, the definitive culinary and culinary travel magazine, voted San Francisco the best culinary destination. And last year as well, the James Beard Foundation named the Slanted Door the most outstanding restaurant in the country, along with the Michelin Guide, who awarded five restaurants with two stars, 14 with one star, and rated dozens of others. Well, I will say that San Francisco is a fabulous town to eat. So if you are planning for fun food travel this year, then this conversation is for you. Lori Armstrong, who is the Director of Media Relations for San Francisco Travel, is joining us to share this top foodie destination. And I'm glad to have you, Lori. Welcome and Happy New Year to you. Thank you, Jamie. It's a real pleasure to talk with you. Well, thank you. Okay. my favorite topic. Yes, I was going to say, we share a fondness for uh, this fabulous topic of food and seeing that you live in the heart of San Francisco and love to rave about it. Um, tell us about last year being a, a banner year and um, and all the, the truly scrumptious offerings you have uh, in your city. Oh, gosh, we have so many. You know, yeah, last year really was an exciting year and I like to say we really hit a culinary home run. You know? Yes, you <laughs> did. <laughs> our Giants got the World Series, but we really got the stars for our food as well. And it was such an exciting year. You mentioned some of the, the wonderful things that happened uh, to us. You know, uh, We were really excited with the Michelin um, stars that came to Bennu and Cezanne. Mm-hmm. Both of them are in the south of Market area, which you know, 10, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have dreamed of going to that neighborhood. And now there's all these really hot restaurants down in that south of Market area. So, you know, we're really excited about having Michelin here in the city. We were the first um, West Coast city to have a Michelin guide, and I think we still are. And it's very exciting to have that kind of uh, criteria applied to our city and and to our restaurants. We um, also had a really good home run, if you will, with uh, Esquire magazine in their 2014 Food and Drink Awards. And uh, they named among the best new restaurants was Tosca Cafe, 
and also the commissary. Now, Tosca Cafe is really interesting. It's been there forever. It's just been kind of a watering hole, yes, kind of I know a, a real hangout, you know, uh-huh. there in North Beach. And, you know, it's the kind of place where Francis Ford Coppola would hang out a lot. You hear a lot about Sean Penn hanging out and so on, and um, very much part of the North Beach community. And so it was taken over by uh, a, a, a team that also has another very popular restaurant in New York. You probably know the name of it, um, something pig. In any case, but they came over, they took over Tosca, they closed it, they renovated it, and they reopened it. And they did one of those things that happens a lot in San Francisco in that they took the basis of what it was. They didn't change it, they didn't wipe it away, they just made it better. And they reopened it, and the food and, and drink situation there is just wonderful. So it's got, it still has charm and character, but it's modern and it's fresh. Right, you're speaking about the spotted pig. In, the spotted pig. In, the the West, in the West Village. I love, by the way, that dichotomy. You know, New York, of course, always considered an incredible food city um, and one that you can taste from uh, an extraordinary range of cuisines. And then highlighting San Francisco, we have that East Coast, West Coast dichotomy. And I appreciate those restaurants that have gone to the opposite ends of uh, our nation, our country, our nation, and and considered that there are eaters on, on both sides. And there's something to learn from both of the sort of cuisines or the culinary triumphs of each city. Absolutely. I, lo- know, I love I, that. I would say that, you know, we, we get called the best restaurant city uh, in America, and as you said, arguably, and I love to argue us against New York. <laughs> <laughs> I think they are uh, a worthy, uh, I don't want to say adversary, but it's a worthy comparison because uh, it's, that's, that's a real good horse race there. You oh, know, to for San sure. Francisco and New York. Although so many other cities across the country have upped their game so much, you know, cities that in the past we probably wouldn't have thought so much about their food, and now they're really, you know, really on it. I mean, think about Las Vegas. That that, that used to be the home of the 99-cent buffet, <laughs> and now a lot of the, the restaurateurs from San Francisco have open outlets there. Yes. So it's, you know, I mean, who knew? <laughs> it's it's but, really, uh, you're right. Changing. It's a culinary mecca, and we see celebrity chefs popping up in cities that sort of gentrify the food scene and elevate that city's, you know, value per se. I mean, even as as far as, you know, where you live and, and home prices and the quality of education, all of these cities and many of them have come up um, very much surrounded by a food scene that elevates them. We're dishing on San Francisco, the best food city in the U.S., where to eat and what to eat more right after the break. I happen to love San Francisco. There's a warm spot in my heart for San Francisco because you offer what I think is the greatest combination of a walking city with the extraordinary opportunity to feel the ethnic influence, to understand the culture. So take us on a virtual tour, if you would. Um, I'd like to know more about the Presidio. If we came to San Francisco to eat... Um, where where should we start? Where would we go? Uh, oh, how does it all yeah. play out? 
you know, talk about a, a, a neighborhood that's coming. Of course, the Presidio uh, is, is one of the places where San Francisco started. And um, 1776, the Officers Club opened there. And that's recently been redeveloped. And again, this whole idea of everything old is new again in San Francisco. Um, the Officers Club has been reborn as a, a museum and a meeting place. And there's a restaurant there called Arguello, which is by Tracy Desjardins, who is mm. one of our top chefs Great in San talent. Francisco. Great talent. Incredible uh, talent. She has Jardinere. She has Mejita. She has a number of different restaurants, and she has opened Arguello right there at the, at the Officers Club, and it's just delightful. Um, not far from there is the Commissary, which was another one of uh, Esquire's top new restaurants of 2014, and that is, I believe that is um, Loretta Keller who is also a top chef in San Francisco. And then not far from there is, um, and it's been there for quite a while, is the Presidio Social Club, which is a really fun place to go, and they have excellent food. And, and I just love Presidio Social Club. It's one of those places that hits it for me. I'm not so much a foodie as I go for the, the trifecta. I want great food, great atmosphere, you know, an environment and setting, and great service. And Presidio Social Club definitely does that. So, And then there are, um, you know, other smaller places to eat around. Um, and then they do something in the Presidio on Sundays, not during the winter, but the rest of the year, that is really fun. It, they call it the Presidio, or the picnic in the Presidio. Hmm. And um, the food trucks come out. There's an organization called Off the Grid that pretty much uh, wrangles the food trucks within San Francisco. And, of course, San Francisco food trucks are a step above a lot of other places. These are really pretty neat. I'm thinking of the one in particular that put in an authentic, absolute full-size pizza oven into the food truck, and it's two stories. And the, and the, uh, the, there's actually there's like a lower mezzanine where they take your money and take your order, and then there's a level where they're making the pizza, and then there's the full-size pizza oven on wheels. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, that's one of the things that I love about San Francisco is you can sort of choose a particular area and then – uh, just embed yourself in learning about the restaurants, the farmers markets, the uh, the gourmet stores, the food scene in that particular place. And each day during a trip in San Francisco, you could embark on, on a whole new experience. One of the things I do love uh, about your city as well is the farmers markets. Um, oh, yeah. I, I love the history of the farmers market in San Francisco, the outdoor, the indoor. Um, highlight, if you would, some of the best places to to experience the freshness. Well, the uh, the, the well known, most well known, and probably best attended is the Ferry Building. Farmers I love the Ferry Building. <laughs> Wonderful. So the Ferry Building, of course, is is uh, started live as a Ferry Building, and it still is a Ferry Building. I, bro- I arrived at the Ferry Building today, but they've taken that old building and on the inside they've they've repurposed it to what somebody called perfectly a gourmet galleria. So these are shops restaurants, vendors, they're all local and they're all about culinary. They all have some relationship to food. Um, And they're wonderful restaurants. That's where the Slanted Door is located. There's also um, Gott's Tray Gourmet, which is the most fabulous hamburger place with a wine list you'll ever find. Yep. Give us a a website, um, a Twitter handle and more for more information to keep us up on the food scene in San Fran. Okay. So for San Francisco travel, it is www.sanfrancisco.travel.com. No.com. Got it. And for Restaurant Week, it's www.sfrestaurantweek.com. And then on, on uh, Twitter and Facebook, just look for Only in San Francisco or Only in SF, and that'll bring you to us. Love it. Thank you for sharing once again uh, the delicious culinary scene. We're keeping you abreast of where to eat, what to eat, and when to eat. How about right now? There's more delicious conversation in your radio right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. 
If you have a taste for life, well then, this is your show. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio at the start of 2015. So, does good food exist at a sports arena? Oh yes, it does. Travel the country and you'll find a culinary evolution from the corn dog and soda offerings at your favorite hockey game or concert all across the U.S., Sports stadiums are drafting talented chefs and a gourmet approach to up their game in the food courts and the restaurants. Like in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center, you can actually taste the best of the borough with dishes from a Michelin star chef. And in Cleveland, Seattle, and Atlanta, there are celebrity chefs that are making their mark by offering kicked-up grub. Well, in Southern California, where this show is based... The Honda Center has elevated its culinary presence by offering Moroccan short ribs, a salmon crepe, and even Szechuan pork belly. Chef Jojo Doyle, he definitely has game. Chef Joseph Doyle, we call him Jojo, is the executive chef of the Honda Center of the Honda Center in Anaheim, California, and he recently took all of their food and beverage operations in-house. So he feeds 1.6 million guests annually and his credentials are pretty impressive he fed fans at the kentucky derby he ran the american airlines arena in miami he worked in high profile restaurants before that and so he's here to dish on the state of food at your local arena and i'm really delighted to share his passion hey jojo you there yes yes i'm here (laughs) thank you for having me yes of course uh, really awesome thank you yes i'm so glad to have you chef um so i have had the privilege and pleasure of enjoying your food. And I wonder from a global perspective, let's start here. How do you make the food as satisfying as the action on the court or as big as the sound of the concert? <laughs> it's true. How do, you make it as, uh, how do you make it stand right next to the players on the court? That's a great question. <laughs> it's true. Um, I just try to be consistent. I guess every team tries to be consistent and it all starts with your team. So for mm-hmm. me, it's about the people that I um, surround myself with. Most of them are more talented than myself and uh, are very, very hyper-focused on making everything as absolutely best as possible. We treat every operation like it's its own little tiny restaurant, if you will. Okay, so let's talk about the operation itself, because there are a lot of trends across the country when it comes to big arenas. We've seen celebrity chef outposts, as I mentioned. Uh, We've seen elevated cuisine, a lot of ethnic influence. But the Honda Center, interestingly enough, has sort of started a trend that we are slowly seeing progress across the country, and that is culinary operations being taken in-house, where you literally control every bite that goes out. Well, yeah, I mean, all the other properties, yes, they, they can, the chefs do control it in their area, but when you go in-house, you're not taking any direction from anything but your fans. And I think that's the biggest and most important statement that you can make. It's just like the restaurant or the, friend, the neighborhood bistro mm-hmm. right around the corner that you go to a couple of times a week. In fact, most of our guests eat here more than any other restaurant or even at home, I guess, if you would think about it. We have 42 games just for the hockey season. On average, we have 163 events a year. So most of my fans and my patrons are here three, four times a week. And you've got to be consistent, and you always got to change the menu. Okay, so what are your fans asking for? Like, what is the, the progressive sort of culinary style or focus of the sports fan, the concert goer, the entertainment buff? Well, that's the cool thing about arenas, because we change this uh, huge restaurant three to four times a week. On hockey games, you know, everybody wants to come in. I'm not going to lie to you. We sell a lot of really cold, great beer mm-hmm. and a lot of hot dogs and nachos. But if you want gourmet food, it can be found in 
I have six gourmet concession stands that are serving like tuna tataki, which is sushi grade tuna that's blackening spice seared on both sides with a garlic miji sauce. Yeah, it's and yummy. Some of the restaurants we have, we have three restaurants in here. We have a JD Club, which feeds 150 to 225 people a night with a chef's table, which is a, one of my favorite experiences. Hmm. And the Grand Terrace, which is a 785-seat restaurant, 6,000 square feet, we do about 800 covers in about 55 minutes to an hour and 20 right before the game. And what they like to have is steaks, crab cakes. You know, we have fresh fish flown in daily. All of our hamburgers at the Honda Center are um, our own signature blend that the chefs got together and designed a year ago. And our butcher makes them for us. We order it up to midnight, and they're ground fresh and pattied out for us and delivered the next morning by 8. So no frozen burgers here. Yeah, I, so that's I guess, amazing. I mean, in a nutshell, we're just trying to give you the best thing that you can possibly have. And then last but not least, one food you crave the most. Ooh, probably, hmm, that's a tough one. I'm an enigma when it comes to cravings. Oreos That's good. milk. Okay, we'll leave Every it Every night. That's, that's a tough one. <laughs> I'll toast you with an Oreo <laughs> sometime yeah, soon. Yeah, you got to have cold milk, too, That's though. right. He is Chef Jojo Doyle, and you will find him at the helm of the extraordinary culinary offerings of the Honda Center in Anaheim, California. And next time you eat at an arena near you and you have something fabulous, let me know. You'll find Chef Jojo's salmon crepe recipe posted at chefjamie.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. Jojo, always a pleasure. Cheers to you. We'll see you soon. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Look forward to it. So that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. I'll leave you with this, what I like to call my last bite or my last ounce or tidbit of gastronomic inspiration. So we all want our crunch fix, right? We want that crisp, satiating snack, but we're eating lean and clean in January, so no potato chips or buttered popcorn on our diets. Well, there's something truly delicious about good-for-you baked kale chips. Seasoned with olive oil and salt and pepper, you can turn fresh kale leaves into a fabulous snack. And here's what I do. I take curly kale and I remove the tough stems and I tear or cut the kale into large pieces. And then I line a baking sheet with either a silpat mat or parchment paper. You could use aluminum foil too. And I scatter the kale pieces on the baking sheet. Then I'll drizzle a little bit of olive oil and just a pinch of salt and toss them around and then place them in a preheated 300 degree oven. You'll bake for about 25 to 30 minutes until the kale chips are crisp, but they're not brown because of the low temperature. And then take them out of the oven. And while they're still warm, squeeze a bit of lemon juice and sprinkle with some Parmesan cheese. And you have the ultimate healthy snack. I'll post my kale chips recipe with lemon and Parmesan on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen, and I will welcome you to find new inspiration for this new year with new recipes at chefjamie.com. Until next Sunday, I thank you for listening. I hope you continue to eat well. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I'll see you next Sunday.